This is Coda Radio, episode 213 for July 11th, 2016. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, like a man on a mission, or perhaps a bat out of hell, why yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! I choose you, Chris Fisher. <laughs> Thank you. I feel honored and privileged. It's good to be back in the hot seat with you, Mr. Dominic. Oh, God, no. I missed you. You know, I missed you. I missed you last week. I was able to catch last week's episode, though, so I heard about uh, the uh, the shenanigans with the dead-on-arrival Dell and yes. the, uh, the snap yeah. purchase of a System76 Lemur, so I'm, I'm up to speed. I'm impressed, Mr. Dominic, with your fancy footwork there. I also was impressed with uh, Noah for stepping in. Uh, just a huge thank you to Noah for doing that, because yes. not only did he just host the show, uh, but he also had to recreate the Coda Radio broadcast profile over in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which takes forever. And, uh, you know, he really does it because I think he's a big picture guy. Not because he just li- loves microphone time, but because he's a big picture guy and he knows that when you work really hard on something, if you don't take time off from time to time, you can burn out. And so he's always been like, Chris, take some time off. I'll fill in. I finally took him up on it. So a big thank you goes out to Noah for sitting in. I don't even think he wore his Google Glass during that episode. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you know, I think he was just trying to make sure that the, that System 76 did not get canceled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think uh, – so if I, if I grokked, the, you took advantage of the sale – uh, that was going on, uh, and you. So the Dell arrived, totally just DOA. You sent the, the ATI card never even became up because it didn't even work. You sent it back uh, in a flash. You ordered the Lemur, but because of uh, like the Fourth of July and all of that, there was there's shipping delays. Have you even received it yet? So I have not received it. So I did get some clarification from them after that because Noah gave me the name of someone to reach out to. It, I, I just, you know, I will say. Their ordering process is a little confusing. You order it and it's like three-day shipping or two-day shipping. They don't tell you it's six to ten days to actually build the machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the yeah, that's where the disconnect came in. Now, as a, as a good old boy, though, you'll probably appreciate the fact that the part of that delay is them assembling it here right in the U.S. of A. Not, not to know. do a spot here because they don't pay for any advertising space here on the show. But no, you, you do exactly. have to kind of appreciate that to some degree. I, I do, I, I do, I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'll be, well, so it means I have to wait probably another week before I get an update on your adventures. Yeah, so I did get an update this morning, actually. Oh. So completely shipped is what, what it says. I think they gave me a UPS tracking. So not half shipped. <laughs> Which is good. I yeah. mean, you know. <laughs> Just the screen. <laughs> a, well, it's a, it's a tower, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. You it's got like, the Rattel. Here's a case. Yeah, you got the Rattel. Good call, right? It wasn't the, it wasn't the Lemur. It was the Rattel, wasn't it? It was the Rattel, yeah. The Rattel yeah, Rattel. that's right. That's right. Good call. That is that is the machine I would order too. If I wasn't going for like the crazy high end expandability performance. So um, I wanted to talk. I wanted to warm up today. Since I've been gone for a week, I needed I needed a warm up topic with you, and I thought we should we should blend two of our passions, and that would be programming and 
Brought you beer. No, 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 no. That's no. that's something else. That's our other podcast that we've been talking about doing. Don't get them confused. We don't want to mess up the demos. So this startup is selling brew that was brewed via AI. Now it's a catchy headline. And it really, if you read it, is a sheep's and wolf clothing, or what is that? Wolf and sheep's clothing, <laughs> because it's IBM, uh, Huckin, and 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 Shuckin, uh, Watson, and so they go do these big, big, you know, recognizable things, and then they put the, you know, they slip Watson into the story. But it actually is legitimately an automated brewing intelligence system that takes feedback from consumers of the four different bottled beers that are being sold by this brewing thing uh, over Facebook Messenger bot, by the way. Uh, and there, we got four beers here, Mike. We got the Golden AI, the Amber AI, the Pale AI, and the Black AI. <laughs> and uh, they, they legitimately are taking input back from these that are being sold in the market and then adjusting the brew for future releases. Where are all our jobs going, Mike? Your thoughts? Yeah. Is there nothing left? Is there no safe space Brewing beer, Mike. Brewing beer. And you know what? I'd be interested to try it. I'd give it a sip. See how it goes. I mean, four. four I, so I, one thing I understand is, okay, so they're AI brewed, right? So presumably, does the AI pick ingredients at random or how does it? Did you? No, no. Did I, I, so that piece right there uh, doesn't really give you much detail, but they do have a, they do have a site at uh, IntelliJX, IntelligentX.ai. Of course. And uh, you could try. Hey, you know what? I'm going to sign up. Look at that right there. I'm going to sign up for their Beer AI newsletter. Boom. Just signed up. (laughs) I'm going to get an email to confirm that. They got a video on their site about it, too. So that's got to be good. Oh, yeah. Look at them messing. It's human hands, not robot hands. Messing with Bud. We've come together to create Intelligent X, which is the world's first beer that's been brewed by artificial intelligence. AI is about making decisions, and when you're brewing beer, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. At Intelligent X, we take all the choices, the ingredients, the methods, and so on, and put that in a data structure that the AI understands. <laughs> the guy shot a code. We can't make millions of beers, so we start by working closely with the brewer to encode their intuition into our algorithm. That gives us a great place to start from. And once our beer's out in the world, our AI, Abby, can have a conversation with all our customers, and that gives us the feedback that allows our beer to evolve. There's a cross. So Abby, their beer brewing AI, is chatting with their customers over Facebook Messenger. So they have a Facebook Messenger bot that interfaces with their brewing system and takes their feedback and then adjusts the brew in real time. So it's kind of legit, but it's, I think you if, know, you, if you dig beneath, uh, beneath the surface, it's in a super limited run. Right. Right. That. I, I, I really am disappointed they didn't have the balls to come out with Skynet Ale. <laughs> like if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna go for it, go for it. Um, I wonder why Facebook Messenger or not some other AI platform. Well, because everybody's on Facebook, I guess. Yeah, I think also yeah. because it was part of it's it's part promotion with Watson, it's part promotion with Facebook Messenger and their oh, bot platform. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, they're not saying that, but that's the smell I'm getting from this piece. Because here's the reality: uh, you don't, you don't. It doesn't take just. Okay, how, how do I – Have you ever, if you've never brewed beer before, there is a process you go through where the beer just sits and it's not beer yet and yeast has to do its thing. And that just takes time. And if you rush that, you make really bad beer. <laughs> Budweiser. And so oh. this whole concept of immediately adjusting the beer brewing process based right. on user feedback, it makes it sound like the next bottle you go to the store to get is going to have your improvements, which is just not practical or possible. Well, 
I have one of those beer brewing kits I got um, in June as a gift. It's like you got to do it and leave it for four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah, it depends on the beer, of course. And there's ways to speed that up. But yeah, if you want, you know, if you want a good, nice beer that's naturally fizzy, but not too fizzy and all that kind of stuff, you have to just let it go through its process. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's get into something that. Two things, actually. I want to bump something up in the show notes right to this moment uh, because uh, you dropped in here this uh, story that I've been reading a ton about while I was on the road. Anytime I got like a minute, I'd stop and just sort of read the headlines and see what the hell's going on while I was on vacay. And this story, the new Nexus 2016 phone, Sailfish and Marlin, and a lot of, lot of stories here, a lot of, a lot of speculation about this. And uh, I don't, I don't have a lot to say here, so I thought maybe we just, maybe we just address it here at the top of the show. But they're saying like lots of places are reporting this. This particular one we're linking to Android Police, eight out of ten on the confidence level. Uh, they say it's going to have a G logo on the back. It's going to be dis- built by HTC. Um, oh. They have, they have, they have processor specs. They have memory specs. They say aluminum body. Your thoughts, Mr. Dominic, on the new 2016 uh, Nexus phone that would probably be timed with, a, with a, a Nougat release, I would think? I mean, it makes sense. There's a Nexus every year. Um, my question would be, why HTC? Because they're not exactly blowing it up. They do make great products, though. Like they The HTC One series of yeah. phones are great. You know, it's funny because a couple months ago we were hearing that Google was going to manufacture their own phone. Right? Yeah, right. And it this seems, I mean, maybe it seems like because it, it is the normal Nexus deal of you build a phone for us with our branding. Yeah. And it's kind of a reference device. Is that is this device in lieu of the one they were going to manufacture? I wouldn't think they'd want to release two Nexus branded phones in right, the same year. In the same year. Mm-hmm. Right. What if, what if those rumors <clears throat> were wrong about the phone? What if they were wrong about the phone, but they were right about the watch? Because the other story from Android Police here is that Google is building two different Android Wear smartwatches. Again, two different devices. Uh, one would be like sort of the higher-end um, device with LTE, GPS, heart rate monitor. The other would be sort of the same, but maybe smaller. It might uh, not have mobile data, LTE built in, wouldn't have GPS. But they both would have the new Google Home Assistant that was demoed at Google I.O., so it's not just your regular Android Wear watch, but this is a Nexus Android Wear watch, round, no flat tire, with Google Assistant built in. Maybe this is the custom Nexus-like device that the rumors were talking about. Uh, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand why they would do that, though. Right? Why would they build their own watch? Because it seems like Fossil and Huawei are doing a great job. So is Moto, right? Building Android watches. They're not selling well, but. Maybe they think they're not selling well because they haven't been built right. Although, I don't know. I, I, that's a tough position to take. I mean, yeah. you know, I have the uh, Fossil Q over here, and I have the, the old first-generation, uh, for, sorry, first-generation Moto 360. Yeah. And I think it's certainly better than the Apple Watch, which is their nearest competitor. Yeah, I agree. I think it is, too. Having used both of them now for an extended period of time, um, I'm now on the Android Wear watch full-time. I'm on, and the battery life isn't as good as the Apple Watch for the Hawaii Watch. But um, round display, which is crisp, no flat tire. It's, it's low profile. It has a heart rate sensor in it. it uh, it's not waterproof or anything like that, but it's a, it's a nice device to manage my notifications. And I, I'll just, like I've mentioned briefly before, for me, 
uh, wearables are kind of a, are, they're kind of a unique use case for each individual. So for myself, I like my wearable to triage my notifications. I have turned off right. notifications everywhere else, and I have them only go to my watch. And then when I take my watch off, like right now, I don't get any notifications anywhere, theoretically. Now, that's a constant like tweaking process. Uh, I also really like the Fit stuff. I like Google Fit, and I like sleep tracking. So those are the basic three work cases for me, use cases, to have an Android Wear watch. And that doesn't justify four, five, six, $10,000 like the Apple Watch uh, when I can go get a uh, Huawei watch from Newegg for 150 bucks when it's on sale. You just can't beat that. You can't beat the price, right. So I could see them doing this, though, to try to see if they tested the market, if they could get sales out there. The thing about Android Wear is it doesn't suffer like Android does in the marketplace where the OEMs control the updates. I, I've never really – I have had some issues with my LG Watch R where I didn't get an update for a long, long time that should have turned on the Wi-Fi chip in the Watch R. So there have been some issues, but it's not as bad as it is in the phone market. You know, it's strange You know, from a development perspective. The Android Wear API, the Android Wear development tools are significantly more open and, in my opinion, better just in kind of a broad giving the access to things sort of way. But, you know, let's not lose sight that all wearables are not selling, period, right? But Apple is selling better than Google. When the certainly. fitness ones seem like, the like uh, you know... Oh, the, sure, the Fitbits, right, right. Fitbits, Fitbits and, yeah, right. yeah. Those seem to be pretty interesting. But uh, the reason why I don't talk about those ones that much on the show, and I think for the same reason you probably don't, is... Well, they're not, yeah, they're not platforms. No, yeah, we care about yeah. what, what li- listeners of our show could potentially target applications for, and those don't really fit the bill there. Um, and, you know, maybe this conversation will change significantly once the new watchOS uh, hits uh, everybody's arms. Is that how you say that? Is, that? is that the terminology when it hits your arm? Hits your wrist? Hits your wrist. I guess hits your wrist? Yeah. I, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. On I'm that not one. sure which way it's going to go, right? I mean, I, I was really hoping they'd manufacture their own device, but it, it more and more looks like that's not going to be true. Man, it is. Uh, you know, Dominic, I, it is good to be back here with you because some of these stories I've been watching this week, uh, I've been waiting with bated breath to come here and discuss these with you. We have. Did you, did we you have wait such. for me? I didn't wait for you. <laughs> no, you didn't, did you? His name was Noah. <laughs> yeah. He was luxurious. Yeah, he was amazing. <laughs> he told me that there was a way to have an open sh- connection. <laughs> what? what oh, I go for one week. I leave for one week. I know. I think there's this Ryan guy showing up on the Linux Action Show this Sunday with some Mycroft project about artificial intelligence. I mean, I don't even know and what's going then on. He tweeted me, and he's going to come on here too. Yeah, yeah, it's very sneaky, isn't he? The, all these guys. I mean, you're gone for one week. I know. I know. I see how it is. That's cool. That's cool. I don't. I don't mind. Uh, I can stand up to the competition. You can stand up to the competition because oh, yeah. I have a strapping young man bringing me a cup of tea right now. What? Get yes. out of here. I don't believe you. You know, Mr. It's- Dominic, you know what else? That's not, that, I saw, that sounded like an ice cube. That didn't sound like tea to me. It's tea. And in fact, he's, uh, he's flexing his guns at me right now. Huh. I don't believe you. Hmm. Okay. I believe, I'll take a picture of <laughs> the live stream. Get it out of here. Okay. You know what else stands up to the competition? That would be DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code... Coder Digital, and get yourself a $10 credit and spin up a rig 
for free. You can get their $5 rig, try it out two months for free. But you know what? To be honest with you, DigitalOcean's pricing is really hourly. We talk about it in a monthly sense, but hourly is where it's at because you can go try out one of their big rigs for just a little while, run your experiment, shut it down, build something, see if it works, put it in production. The pricing is straightforward. You can upgrade capacity as they go. They're rolling out block storage betas, which is totally awesome. They have an incredible community, and they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, and even India. Can you believe I have that whole list memorized? That is really impressive. And they have the best UI to get up and running. You can start in less than 55 seconds of pricing plans. Mm, man, they are straightforward and reasonable. So the base is $5. The base is less than that crappy, crappy fast food you ate. It's less than that. Or maybe you didn't eat it. But you know what I'm saying, right? That's incredible. $5 for a Linux rig on SSD drives, all SSDs. KVM virtualization, the best virtualizer in the business, 40 gigabit e-connections, the data centers they've picked, they're not randomly picked. They're like laser scalpel picked. It's a serious setup. You combine that with the great documentation, the one-click deployment of entire application stacks. So you want to get a container up and going in no time. It's simple. They have FreeBSD. They have Debian. They have CentOS. They have Ubuntu. They have Fedora. They even have CoreOS. And they work with those projects to get the updates from directly upstream they're not custom spins with weird kernels. Go check them out. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word, and I'll give you a $10 credit. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com, promo code CODERDIGITAL. Okay. So apparently um, I leave for a week, and Nintendo becomes an app business. And <laughs> I just caught a Weedle during the DOS. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. <laughs> Yeah, they've made like uh, – since they've launched this, this is unbelievable. They've made like $7 billion or something. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Their uh, company valuation is up $70 billion. Their stock's yeah. going crazy. That's what it was. That's, that, that makes more, way more sense anyways. So for those of you who maybe were on vacation like I was, um, it's an augmented VR game that's made by Nintendo and the people that made uh, – what's that Google game where, they, where you go out in the real world? On, uh, oh, in um – Oh, what the hell was I it? I know. I'm a dummy. I'm losing it. But uh, th- so Nintendo partnered with the people like uh, uh, Ingress. Thank you, Rikai. In- and the people behind Ingress. And they came out and they've made this Pokemon VR or AR game. And it's gone like gangbusters. Now, a lot of people are, are claiming it's, um, it's, it's nostalgia that's making people play it. But I don't think so. I, I couldn't give two craps about Pokemon and I'm still tempted to install this thing and play it. I think they actually are on an interesting gameplay element here. And this is what we've been waiting for. We have been waiting for Nintendo to enter the mobile gaming market. We have been wondering where, where they are. We've been wondering why some of the great Nintendo platforms and IP have not come over to mobile. And so when they finally did it, they seem to have freaking nailed it. And I, I thought the app boom was over, Mike. Yeah, I was insane. Nintendo was like, all right, people say they can't make money. Watch this. It's awesome. Since you've been talking about them, I have evolved my Kakuna into a Beedrill and my Pidgeotto into whatever his next bird-like form is. And do you know why? Hmm. Because it's addicting. It's crap. <laughs> and it makes you get up and move around, which is nice. I have walked more in the last three days than I think I have in the last three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there is <clears> – <throat> I, I think maybe for another day, a bigger category topic is how apps and technology can be used – in a way to gamify health because yeah. just now that I have a wearable and I have a streak of how many days I've been walking, I've been active for, like it's really – it's minimal stuff. Walking for 30 minutes a day, like that's, that's not that big of a deal. But if I don't have like a little bit of a, 
a number to hit, a game reason, I don't tend to worry about it. But when I have a watch that says, hey, man, you walk for another 15 minutes or you walk for another five minutes and you've once again met your goal for another day, I, I, I do it. And I it think works. There, when you can make it fun like this, have you ever, seen, have you ever heard of that app called Z- uh, Zombie Run? Which is a yes. running where zombies yes. are chasing you and you run, and it's a, that's another example of this. This though is a little simpler. Um, it does touch on some cultural phenomenons that people are familiar with. So it is going like gangbusters as we record this episode. It's all over the the the, the, the twitters, the the mainstream media's. Pokemon goes huge, and you know what? I actually think they did a good job. They've had some server hiccups. Yeah, I can't imagine the level of. Uh, challenge developing something like this is geocaching it reminds me of geocaching too yeah there's that the data sets you'd have to have and you know this has not been flawless like you've probably heard the stories of pokemon being in the police office and pokemon being in the grocery store and yeah you've probably heard yeah. those stories yeah Did you, there, i mean there's a couple funny ones right the uh you know making the churches all the pokemon <laughs> centers <laughs> nintendo says get to church yeah yeah uh, so do you think this is going to be a game changer for Nintendo? I think, uh, they should repeat this success. That's for sure. So they launched it on iOS and Android and but they launched it in a really weird way. Like, oh, I didn't catch that. I was on the road. Yeah. So it was on the Google play store, but not set. Cause you can, as a developer, set it to device compatibility, set to compatible with no devices. So therefore no one can download it. So you could look at it. You could look at the screenshots and basically be tortured if you were really wanting it. Oh, man. And what happened is, some, well, of course, now that people know this game's available, um, and it was made available in New Zealand, which they haven't said anything publicly, but it does sound like there was like an Australia-New Zealand uh, like server test for about 24 hours. Folks put um, APKs, you know, because it's Android, right? Pirated APKs. Yep. In a go-go in the chat room, so they're side-loading in the UK right now. Yeah, the problem was many of those were actually uh, malware-infected. Oh, no, of course. Yeah, so there's been a rash of people, predominantly, you know, tech-savvy people who don't have (laughs) higher-end devices, getting their Android phones infected with malware because they could not wait a day to get the Pokemon Go. (laughs) I was one of them. Yeah, really? (laughs) I did the side and I was like, shit, and I wiped the phone. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Uh, I have not tried it myself, but um, I have felt a little bit of a temptation. I will admit to that. So the game is being played by an average. This is the other thing I think that really is kind of a big deal. 43 minutes a day. So people aren't just downloading this thing and closing it. They're spending more time in this than they are on WhatsApp or Instagram. Oh, it is. I mean, Chris, I'm playing it right now. It's It's in in the United States, Australia, New Zealand, as we record this. It's going to be launching in Japan, which is a huge market for Nintendo uh, soon. The game yeah, itself it didn't launch in Japan at the same time. Yeah, uh, Niantic or Niantic, I think is how is the company that made Ingress. They're the ones behind it. So, so there, there's a revenue Google, split here. There is a right, revenue. There's you know they're a Google spin out, right? Yeah. So they they were Google uh, people. Mm-hmm. That then got spun out to their own corporation. So and there is some expensive like uh, in in game coins you can buy and things yep. like that. So they're going to make some money on this too. Well, good. You know what? Congratulations to Nintendo, really. Hey, somebody's got to make money on the App Store. Oh. It, oh. Uh, and, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, they're making some money, and but, the, but the, the app itself is free. And I think that tells you something. And you can totally play it for free, too. So. Uh, so before we get into one of the big topics 
of the week. I just want to get your prediction on the record. Do you think this is the beginning of Nintendo transforming to an app company? Do you yeah. think no? Okay, I don't either. I think it's going to become part of their thing, but I don't think it. I don't think it's. Going to, they're not good. Well, to, yeah, I mean, you know what yeah, I meant I, though by that is I meant sort of like how how Apple is really an iPhone company. They still make Macs, but they're really an iPhone company. Well, but remember, right? This game is made by a a developer who they've contracted with at arm's length, and they're doing a revenue share, right? Yeah, it's it's this a ton in the water for them. Internally, being like, we're going to be on open platforms that we don't control. Right. Here's the thing, though, Mike, is it does shatter their old argument they've now had for like six years. The Nintendo experience depends on a unique collaboration of the hardware controller and the game creation. And if we don't create the controller for the game, we don't feel like we can make a great game. That's been their line now for five, six years. This proves that dead wrong. Well, you know, Nintendo traditionally has a a bad case of the not-invented years. My, My question would be, does some Nintendo executive see the ridiculous amount of money they're going to make on this or are already making on this? And say, okay, guys, we need to port our, our back catalog. I, I don't see it. Right? I don't see it either. Mm-mm. No, I mean, I would love it. I would love to go get the Mario series. I just, uh, I don't I think they would. Because the truth is, the worst part about their products, from a technology perspective, is they're underpowered and overpriced hardware. <laughs> right? Like, and, 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 and frankly, you know, Development-wise, they had a hard time getting into the high-def world. You can read about it. They had, like, technically a hard time doing it. Um, I don't know if they're not, like, the what can happen if you're, like, Apple and it goes wrong. Because their big successes, as I have recent successes, have actually been few and far between, right? They have, they, and, and where they have had success, really, is, like, in the DS. They're more mobile stuff. Yeah, but not, kind of not, not to the level of, like, you know, Halo, right? When you're talking the gaming <laughs> industry, right? sure, all success is relative, but come on. Yeah. You know, it, I wouldn't be shocked if this game is their biggest revenue generator for the year. You know, I specifically was looking for information on that, and I just think it's too early. I haven't seen anything on that. But, yeah, me too. I agree. I, I, because the overhead... Once once everybody has these apps installed, like the, 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 the mad rush will end. It'll it'll start slowly falling down the top downloaded charts. It's at the top right now. Um, but they have a freaking cash machine built in there in the form of like uh, these in app purchases where they just it's just a money making machine. You you keep and, and some of the, some of the coins in there are over a hundred bucks. You get you know, some of the bags of coins and stuff you can buy are like a hundred and something bucks in this game. Like we're yeah, talking, we're talking real money in this thing, and some of them are way cheaper. They're, yeah. This thing is—it's got a built-in ATM for Nintendo. Yeah, I, but I think you're—I think you're missing one one vital point in that. You know, if you wanted to play a Pokemon game, right? Like I'm of the age where you know, Pokemon was something when I was yeah. a child. Uh-huh. I would never go out and buy a Nintendo DS or Game Boy or whatever it's called to do that at this juncture. But I have an iPhone. I have an Android phone. I would certainly download it because why not, right? You've made it a free download of something that's mildly nostalgic. Yeah, and here's the here's the logic because I get caught up in it. The game's free. I'm loving the hell out of this game, and if I can buy something that makes me love this game even more and it's cheap, I'll buy it. I'll do the in-app purchase. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah, I mean, I've already bought the uh, Packer coin. Oh. <laughs> 
Five dollars only. Let's not be. Just yeah, so I shame bought a pack of coins because you know what? I walked according to this already four kilometers just playing the stupid game. Oh, it keeps track of that for you. Right, it keeps track. Of oh, it. very smart. Yeah, that's clever. Look at them. Look at them. Well, you know, Mr. Dominic, I uh, may have to check it out. I don't know. That, I do like the idea of, I mean, if I, I'm already going on walks. So if I'm already going on walks, why not make them a little more fun? The only thing I will say is uh, I live next to two public parks, mm-hmm. or relatively close to them. And there's nothing creepier. Or I'm, I, I, I'm very concerned that I'm going to have my phone out, be walking past the children's playground, and just feel a taser. Oh man! Back of oh my man! Neck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, sir. <laughs> yeah. You know what I thought was creepy, and I didn't go there. What I went is something in the chat room said. <clears throat> whereas, you know, there's a certain amount of power you have here as a game developer because, say, it's election day. Let's say the let's say the vote for the Brexit's happening, and, and now they have it. They're like they have it in the UK, and everybody's down. Or or 2016 elections happening here in the uh, US. And uh, they decide one day to flip a switch and make sure a bunch of rare Pokemon are at voting centers to get to encourage the public to go out and vote. Now, that seems like a good thing, but the psychological manipulation that's happening there at, and, and, the, and the end result of getting people to come out and vote, well, very well could lead to Donald Trump getting elected. <laughs> okay, but, I mean, most places you would work at, right, will give you, you know— no, I know. It's just the power. What I really, what I'm really saying is, the power they have as a as a as a developer is to move people to certain locations, oh, churches, sure. uh, you know, uh, uh, grocery stores, um, police offices. They they have an interesting that this particular game has an interesting influence over the public. And I do wonder how much stronger is Google's data sensor uh, becoming as I play this game. Do you? Th- oh, so you think that they're getting da- Google's getting data? I don't know, right? Because the, the company that. Uh, Yotic, whatever their name is, is spun out from Google. But this is all built on the Google Map API. Yeah. Oh, right? right. Of course it That's is. That's what yeah, this it game is. is. Yep, yeah, yep. it is. No, they say it is. Um, in fact, it says Google on it somewhere in the marketing materials. Yeah. So I'm not wondering if they're and, – and why wouldn't they, right? You have all these people now on foot walking around traversing these areas. Why wouldn't you now use that data to yeah. – Even if you're just getting tr- flow data and stuff like that. I by mean, traffic flow or yeah. you know, is, is there a lake where you didn't know there was a lake, right? Things like that. Oh, man, the possibilities of that. I know we've talked about it before in terms of ingress, but just the idea of the kind of data that they could get back and improve their own service on. Well, think about this. Um, when, you're, when you go to catch a Pokemon, it does the alternate um, reality thing. So you see the po- you've seen the pictures. Like it's like a yeah. Pidgey. Yeah. Why not analyze those pictures? Right? Use your machine learning technology to run analysis on the picture. Obviously, abstract out the Pokemon because you don't care about that. And just analyze the terrain and match it against what your Google Maps system thinks it should be. You could, they could even potentially just do some of that locally and not have to send the entire image off-site. They could yeah, do, but, you know. Yeah. But to yeah. send it off-site, that's a lot of data and a lot of battery. I mean, the, the game is not kind on your battery. No, you're actually, you're right. I was reading an article about that. It's yeah. it's it's very aggressive with the battery. Oh, well, you know what? You're doing augmented reality Pokemon fetching and catching. I mean, come on. Yeah. What do so, you expect? It's not worth battery life. <laughs> I don't know anything about Pokemon, but it sounds interesting. It's pretty good. I think this is the beginning of a new genre. Don't you? I think it is, too. I could see a lot of games like this. And and I, I could see a lot of like tying games like this, right? You have like a major console game. Oh man! And you have the AR tie-in. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That that could really extend the console game quite a bit. I bet we'll see that. 
at Bimbogo. All right. So speaking of uh, large, old companies that make a lot of money. How is Microsoft? Actually, I was thinking of Oracle, but good one. (laughs) I was thinking of Oracle. Uh, You know, I, I caught a blog post you did. I think it was on the 8th. Idea. I can't remember now. And uh, I want to pick your brain about it. And it, it does tie back into Oracle and their big plans for Java EE. And I want to pick Mike's brain about that and what looks like his potential replacement for Java EE and all of that. But first, I want to mention linuxacademy.com slash coders. linuxacademy.com slash coders is where you go to get our discount and learn more about Linux Academy, a platform for training you the skill sets you need to be better at your job, to get the clients you want, to just advance your skill set, to go deep dive into new technologies. They have labs and exercises that give you hands-on scenario-based instructions. They have instructor mentoring when you need it, learning paths with series of courses. They have assessments, note cards. In fact, all of this too, like when I mention this, it's like just scratching the surface because there is – when you sign up, there is a dashboard where you get comprehensive study guides you get to download. The note cards can be forked and improved by the community. The practice exams and quizzes make you feel like you're actually ready for the real stuff. And the nuggets help you get advantage of Linux Academy when you don't have a lot of free time. So I can't really describe how awesome this platform is until you go over there and try it. So go to linuxacademy.com coders. What I can tell you, though, is Linux Academy is a great place to go to learn a lot about the topics we talk about here on this show. See, the thing about Linux Academy is it was created by real professionals, enthusiasts, educators, developers that wanted to come together and create the Linux Academy. They've been expanding and growing their staff, too, which you can find out more about on their About page. They're funded well, and they're doing the right thing, the smart thing, to make a system that not only has current and cutting-edge technology, but to make sure the older courseware continues to get renovated and updated and current. They have seven-plus distributions you get to choose from. It automatically adjusts the courseware and the documentation, so as you follow along, everything's lined up with the distro you're expecting. The community is stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, iOS and Android applications to help you out. They even have team support. Uh, Ryan on Linux Action Show on Sunday talked about how the Mycroft team uses Linux Academy teams to train their entire group. That is really cool. And if you're an individual or if you're a team, there's something for you at linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there. Just visiting that, just browsing around, learning more about them. That lets them know you heard about it here. Supports the show. And then when you're ready to buy, you'll get our discount at linuxacademy.com slash coders. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So Oracle has had to come out and make a public statement that it has not all but abandoned Java EE because there are rumors and speculation that internally uh, the Oracle halted the project. And so they, hey, guys, <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, this has been getting out of control. Yeah. Uh, the rumors of Java EE's demise are exaggerated. We got something real big for you planned soon. Stay tuned, everybody. And I look at this and I go, Java EE is, is, is in an interesting position right now because um, there's a, some, there's some, there is some contenders out there, some, some strapping young gentlemen's called – I'm trying to look for the name right now. Cores? Is that what it's called? C-O-R? I can't, oh, Spring Boot. That's what it was. Spring Boot. And it's got a nice name, Spring Boot. It sounds like it's got a bounce in its step. It sounds like it's got flowers and sunshine. And it doesn't make me think about Oracle at all. I don't really understand what it is, Mr. Dominic. But, so, my, but, but I see a connection and a potential replacement of Java EE for some. 
Am I tracking? Help me understand. You're tracking, potentially. Uh, so Spring Boot is a, um, an offshoot of Java Spring, right? which is like an enterprise-style software development platform, I would say. I would say. I would say that, too. Now, I, I just want to like backpedal a little. It's amazing how little faith the Java community has in Oracle. Yeah, really. Oracle did not say that anything bad was going to happen in Java EE, but... And to be honest, I bought the rumor. In fact, we talked about it last week on the show. Oh, okay. like I, mm-hmm. I totally bought it because it just seemed like something, though I thought it would be dumb of them, maybe they would, right? Like, it's a lot of work to maintain something like Java EE. I mean, it's, for those who aren't familiar, it's an enterprise development framework that is like you are in the most enterprise of enterprise land. Um, you're arguably more enterprise than .NET guys hmm. or about the same level. I don't like Java EE. Now, some of that's because I don't use it a lot. Um, it's a little sure. big, it's a little heavy, and it, well, I cannot stress how how capitalized that E in enterprise is. Spring is an alternative to that, right? And the post that you're referring to that I wrote, it's just a quick tutorial about how to do uh, cross-site scripting. So basically allow HTTP REST requests from one domain to your domain. The reason you might want to do this is you have one domain that serves the front end of your website and another domain that's some sort of web service, um, which is neither here nor there on the Java argument because obviously you can do that too. But if you take a look at the uh, Spring Boot code I threw up there, notice how nice and simple this is. Mm-hmm. And notice how much my website mangles my brackets. That's stupid <laughs> end. Yeah, I did. <sighs> when will we all be saved from WordPress? <sighs> I, I know. I've, I've been, you know, I've been tempted to switch to Ghost, which is kind of tempting. You should look at. Well, something. actually, there is a version of this post that you could have pulled from Buccaneer.io that's in Ghost. Oh yeah. Oh really? Buccaneer.io is in Ghost? I didn't know that. Buccaneer.io is Ghost. Yeah. Listen, I, I try to use the open software standard. Yeah. Right? You, you know, you're all. You've always said I'm all about the open source. Open source. I'm going to charge you for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make revenue off of it, but I, I, I'm all about that open yeah, source. Yeah, here you go. So let's just yeah. quickly throw this in the chat if this has it less messed up. Okay, yeah, good. I'll, I will and swap out the show note versions for that one, too. What, what people generally complain about, and I want to be careful how I say this with Spring, I'm um, sorry, rather, is how big and how enterprising it is, right? So... Spring Boot is an alternative to that. I think Spring is made by the Pivotal, Pivotal guys, if I'm not mistaken. It is a pretty pretty straightforward web services framework for Java. Takes an opinionated view of building production-ready Spring applications. Spring Boot fa- right. favors right. convention over configuration and is designed to get you up and running as quickly as possible. Sounds a lot like Rails, doesn't it, guys? It does. <laughs> yes. I'm not really, you know, ready to die in the Spring Boot hill just yet. I still think Java Play is great. Um, I still do a ton of Ruby on Rails because legacy. But it is interesting to see how many alternatives there are in some theoretical world if Oracle you know, did something so terrible. Right. right. When, you're, when you're thinking along these lines, you're curious what's out there. Right. That's good, yeah. I, I, you know, you're an open source hippie. Mm, I love open source. Aren't you worried about Maybe not worried, but isn't it? Shouldn't Oracle be concerned about how quickly their own developers and their own community believed the worst about them? Because this story, like, there weren't two sides. It was yes, they're doing it, and yes, they're crazy. 
You know, should they be? Yes. I think actually it does show you sort of a, it's a temperature. It's not an overall indicator, but it's one of it's it's not like the big sign, but it's one of many little signs that they should be paying attention to. Although based on the way they've communicated in the past to the security community, I doubt they really are thinking a lot about how they message to developers, to be honest with you, because they don't really work at that level. They work at the CTO, CIO, um, you know, uh, technical debt entrenchment level. They don't really work at the uh, – try. they don't really give a crap about recruiting new developers and evangelizing new developers. I don't think. I don't get that sense. See, I don't think any of like the new companies or new startups are being built with Java Yeah, I mean, a lot of them aren't even being built with Java. Period. But. It's it's like that moment Microsoft must have looked around and gone, "Oh shit! All these new VPSs are all running Linux. They're not running Windows. We have a serious problem here." Right, but Microsoft has responded and actually, right, right. You know, it, they're not such a terrible choice. No, they've gone with Azure is doing well. Um, they, but you, my my point remains. Like it, they took them a little longer, and because of that, you don't really see a lot of. You know, you're not going up and spinning up a, a, a Linode or DigitalOcean uh, Windows VPS. They waited too long, and I think they weren't they weren't getting the signals from from the user base about what they wanted in, from a machine in that work capacity. That's true. That's true. And I think that's what I think that's what you're picking up on Oracle for sure. And I think it's a leading indicator, but it's not the main indicator. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, Oracle's business is incredibly complicated. They, you're right. They do work at that CIO level. They're really not interested in what are the new things no. being built on our technology, which is so short-sighted, because generations change, technologies change. Um, my my example, I just Linux VPSs. Uh, Windows is an enterprise OS. Microsoft worked at the enterprise level, but yet it was the individual BYOD guy and gal who created applications for businesses that just deployed it on an Ubuntu VPS, and that's what became the standard over time. It started at a very organic, grassroots level, which is the level you're talking about right here. The people who are noticing, the people who are concerned that maybe they're killing a product and it's spreading like wildfire and everybody's believing it, those are the very people that they should be trying to market to to say, hey, look what we're doing look what we have here they're just not geared for it see the thing i struggle with on all this is i don't know of anybody who's running java not for legacy reasons right Hmm. i i I, and maybe it's a self-selecting kind of bias but i don't know of any new projects being started in java and i haven't for years so i i kind of wonder is this i mean obviously there's people who have, you know, years of training, years of experience in it and wouldn't want it yeah. to go away. But is it still super relevant outside of, like, legacy support? Now, I totally get most development is legacy maintenance, right? I can't no, – I you know, I feel like I don't I, – my answer is I, I agree. I don't – I think I'm seeing the same thing you are. But I guess I would put that out to the audience too and say, what are you out there seeing? Because they're sort of – they could be our on the, on the ground. Right, right, yeah. I think – yeah, I, you know, I would put it out there. Anybody listening, do you work in Java EE and why? Um, I, I'd be really interested if you like chose to do it, right? If you mm-hmm. had a, a greenfield or a choice of a stack and you said, you know what, we're going to go EE. Yeah. Coder Radio at reddit.com uh, or coderadio.reddit.com for the, for the re- subreddit or you can just email us by going to the contact page and choosing Coder Radio from the dropdown and uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, yeah, that is a good question though because it's, it does seem like it's lost a lot of momentum there. 
Do you want to talk, you know, I, I know you probably mentioned it last week because I, I didn't catch the tail end of the show. I caught almost all of the show, though. Uh, What's going on with Gitmask? I'm pretty sure there's been an update since the last time. Yeah, we I didn't mention it last week, actually. Uh, this is just a minor quality of life update. So, fun fact: uh, write, rewriting people's Git history in the main directory when some people don't understand how the uh, internals of Git work turned out not to be a popular thing for me to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, fine. <laughs> sure. So now, what it will do is it does two things. We have, well, we have two major uh, complaints about it, although, to be honest, sales are not awesome of this product, which makes sense, right? Because one fun fact, and I think this goes for anybody developing any kind of app, I thought my customer was developers. It turns out it's like shady people contracting out to developers or PMs or things like that, hmm. which kind of makes sense given what it does, which if you didn't listen to a show a few weeks ago, hmm. what it does is it basically allows you to through a nice, simple GUI, rewrite commit messages to have one standard name and email address for the author and the committer. So that if you are contracting it out, your workout to a bunch of people, you can, you know, prevent your client from going around you, basically. And Bitbucket. Well, it, it, because it works at the Git level, it automatically oh, works for GitHub and Bitbucket. Sure, yeah. sure. And GitLab, which yeah. somebody was asking That's about. what I was just going to ask, yeah. So what what happened, though, is because these people are now tending to be like business types and PMs, they do not know understand that Git is just a bunch of files in a .git directory, and that what this app actually does is rewrite those files. Mm-hmm. So they didn't think to copy the directory. So can you imagine what happened there? <sighs> so they went ahead and applied the change, and they were totally surprised. <clears throat> they were surprised that when it applied the change both on the public repo of their customer sure. and on their repo. Sure. So what it does now is it creates a copy directory, which is your project name dash mast. Uh, mask spelled you know, like a mask, right? Mm-hmm. And that has the written changes. So that has the changes to the commit history. Now, feedback on this has been kind of double-edged. A lot of people, but again, a lot of these are pretty small numbers, seem to like it. Of course, some other people who figured out how to use the old version, like, well, why did you change this now? I was confused, and I pushed the wrong history to the remote repo. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So the other thing I fixed was, if you don't know that you can't do rewrite operations on a Git repo when you have pending changes, I have a helpful little thing that says you cannot do this until you uh, commit, stash, or revert your changes. Because, I, you know, it, this is really, uh, I think, a great educational case of aiming a product at one group of people and having a totally different group of that group of people reject it and having a different group of people use it in a way that you perhaps did not intend it to be used. Yeah, and so, of course, some of the small things of how things work have to be tweaked to their expectations and not to the other groups. Well, something like that, right? They are so much less educated on like how Git internally works, mm-hmm. and they are so very, very interested in like hiding the people working on their projects that if they do accidentally push up the wrong version of the repo, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know how to fix that. Mm-hmm. That could be embarrassing. So now, I, I one, I'm not sure how I feel about this whole use case. Um. You know, certainly it is... I mean, it's a legit business practice, isn't it? 
No, it's legit, right? I mean, and, and to be honest, I get why you would do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from a yeah, from a branding standpoint, all of that even. Right. I just don't. You know, I didn't. I didn't intend for PMs to contract work out, ask for the repo, and then like open up source tree or something and try to pull the repo down and then run this <laughs> and then try to deliver to their client via GitHub. Mm, it's not which working. Seems, which seems to be well, no, no, it does work, but sometimes again because they don't get that. Mm, yeah. Like one one interesting conversation I had with the, a customer was, "What do you mean Git and GitHub are two different things?" Like that mm. was also a very scary conversation. I wonder if that's yeah, that's not really the person you want buying this this app. I wonder if that's a super common thing. That might be more common. That might be the more common I, use case. I, I think <laughs> it's more common. I, like, yeah, I think it's a lot more common. Another Jeez. thing I'm finding is how common it is for people to use GitHub as their deployment to their customers. Yeah, well, that doesn't surprise me. Jeez. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, so, it, it disappoints, <laughs> but it doesn't surprise. <laughs> all right. So it's almost like, wow, I maybe should have just wrote a GitHub client. And that would have been better. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, so where do I go? So it's called GitMask. Where do I go if I want to find it? Uh, you would just uh, – let me get you the link. It's, it, I'm selling it through Gumroad still. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have a link in the show notes too. Oh, the link in the show notes, yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like that. I like that Gumroad. I like that. I like that. Hey, we got an email that came into the show here, Mr. Dominic. And uh, see, did you happen to catch his name? Because I didn't. Um, it came in from Fred. It says, love your show. Love the rants about technology. And I want to get you started. Uh, I rewrite my PHP app. Yeah, you can start your rant here. Since I want to use a modern and standard application stack, I decided to have my back end still in PHP and my front end in AngularJS. So my question is about the PHP API. How should I set this up? Right now I want to use PHP to create a JSON API using my old session cookie to track my sessions. Sounds a little old school, but Okay. I thought that, and then I Googled. Everybody tells me to use a RESTful API. I understand that, but here comes my question. Why should I not track my session with PHP session? I understand I should not store any information in the session because then the API is not RESTful. But why can I not use the session to save my authentication? How would you work here? JSON tokens? Are they, are they not just the same as a session cookie? Looking forward to the wisdom of the great Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Miss are going to tell you, you are not getting rest. <laughs> oh, man. So a PHP question. Perfect for this show. Perfect for this show. I'm exactly the guy to ask. All right, <laughs> step one. Cut a hole in the box. Do apt get remove PHP. <laughs> no, come on. You know what the, you know what the answer is? is it, it's uh, – yeah, it really is probably that. <laughs> Honestly, no, the answer is the reason people are telling you not to do that is because technically to really be restful, the everything required for the, quote, state of your your request must be included in the request itself, meaning you cannot have the server store the session cookie. Right. Clear. So the way you would do that is if you're doing a session token is that the client would send it in a header or it could even send it as a parameter, really. Um, but you know, common practice is to send it as a header with every single request. Or use Python, the chat room says, with Flask, or another framework altogether. Right, but all those frameworks, that's what they do, right? I mean, yeah. Rails does it too. I mean, they, mm-hmm. this is how they work. Yeah. So, 
you know, I, I'm not going to demonize you, Oliver, for this, but I'm going <laughs> to say that, you know, if you're going to do PHP, mm-hmm. one of one of the risks with PHP is is some of this legacy stuff that does exist, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, for the sake of argument, assume that you are correct that you need a RESTful API. Though mm-hmm. so you sometimes REST is overused, but let's just say that's not the case here. Then, if you're going to do it, you should do it correctly, right? And therefore, you know, one of the reason things like, in particular, and I, I am trying so hard not to bash PHP here. It's you're doing really good. Am I? Yeah, I mean, I'm impressed. I, I had scheduled five minutes of bashing here, so I just uh, yeah. Oh well, I mean, I could talk about how they're slovenly and I'm, oh. <laughs> no, you know we do have another email to get to. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? John wants to know. Go by ahead. the last one was Oliver. Uh, John wants to know. I just discovered Jupiter Broadcasting. I'm enjoying Coda Radio and the other shows. I like Coda Radio in particular because it gives a developer's view of the news. As a guy who writes about Foss at itfoss.com, plug plug plug. I like having a view on technology that goes beyond reporting a company's uh, press release. Yeah, no kidding, right? I do have a question which I'd like to you guys to cover which code hosting site do you prefer github or gitlab he just discovered gitlab a couple months ago um he says i use dropbox now he likes the idea of being able to roll back changes with git yeah yeah uh, in previous shows chris talked about using website generators i've been playing around with hugo i know it's been fun and it's uh, i plan to replace a couple of my wordpress sites with hugo so there you go uh that is pretty good uh he also says that anagross isn't the only arch game in town he likes manjaro thanks for the show and keep up the good work so what do you think yeah, so uh, listen to the back catalog, right? Yeah, I, I guess we have covered that pretty uh, – GitHub versus per, GitLab. Pretty well. I'm currently on Bitbucket uh, because I'm using the whole Atlassian suite of tools, including Jira, right? But previously, I ran my own GitLab servers on DigitalOcean, which mm. DigitalOcean, plug, 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 has a really nice pre-configured um, GitLab setup instance thing. I like GitLab. I will say, though, if you listen to the back catalog, the reason I left GitHub the first time was their former pricing model being very unfriendly to people who have a lot of repos. Right. Now that their pricing model makes more sense, fun fact, they charge most people more money, but if you have a lot of developers and or if you have few developers and a lot of repos, it works out better for you. Mm. I probably would never have left GitHub. Oh, if this was the if this was the if price, this was the way it was always, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's not true. Maybe I would have needed the more enterprise focus of, of Jira and things like that. But I, you know, I I do worry that GitHub is kind of taking over in a in a pretty dominant way. Yeah. Like when I talk to people, what do you use? The only people who seem to be using Bitbucket are. You know, companies where someone who who pay, just pays the bills made the decision, yeah. or other development shops who you know didn't want to get a couple of like iOS workflows. You know, pretty you know involve Bitbucket pretty pretty heavily. I mean, there's a yeah, but they, they, see, Bitbucket's always the second class citizen. Yeah, it does feel like that. Like even Slack had awesome GitHub integrations, and then you know a month later, Bitbucket. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these like continuous integration things. Although to be fair, Elastic's coming out with their own thing, um, almost like a. Um, what were those guys we covered? Codechip? Mm-hmm. They have ties into both, right? And, mm-hmm. and Elastian's coming out with their own uh, continuous delivery stuff. I forgot the name of it, but somebody could look it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Decresti uh, in the chat has a point. There is a level of vendor lock-in mm-hmm. that I think exists with GitHub that the other two don't 
try to necessarily do. I mean, they're not in a position to do it either. Well, yeah, Bitbucket would love you to buy Jira and the other Atlassian products, right? But they understand that, you know, not too many people are going to switch from Slack to HipChat. And that's the way it is, right? Mm -hmm. And then they don't try to force you into their flow. Where I do feel like GitHub is kind of. I don't know. I mean, philosophically to me, GitHub is also like the wild, wild west. Everybody is kind of their own free agent there, which I don't love. Um, hmm. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, they are also, I and mean, we didn't report on this, but they have been going through some changes too, right? And they've been trying to make a focus more on, more on the enterprise and more focusing on businesses and, for lack of a better term, becoming more of a, a business tool than, hmm. you know, everybody hosts your open source project here. Yeah. That's yeah. uh yeah and uh that that little uh, that'll that's a good little uh, capper to if he is able to go back and check the back catalog on that and it's probably in the titles too those those particular episodes you probably wouldn't have to look too hard uh, Sen writes in with just a little bit of uh, final feedback here on the show. Uh, speaking on the Java EE topic, he says, you know, when you're browsing around on the web I, and and looking for different stuff, I had no idea Java EV Java EE, sorry, <clears throat> even existed until I had a CS class where we had to use it. <laughs> you don't see recommendations anywhere else. So I thought that was kind of an interesting point, depending on what you said. He says, by the way, Oracle dropping this is from last week when it was a possibility. That just makes zero sense. Unless they want to close it off and keep it for themselves somehow, which interesting, but not doesn't look like that's what's happening. By the way, on the hardware front, he says he just picked up a fully specced out Enterware Apollo. I had to go Ooh. through some hoops because they only ship in the UK, but it should arrive in 10 days. I plan to run Linux on it, obviously, leaning towards Fedora. Uh, I like Fedora because it's a fast release cycle and still being stable. The laptop was recommended by Chris on the last review, so it's good to s- – you know what? I'll say this, by the way, Sen uh, – Got the Apollo running Fedora 24, used it over the entire vacation. Love it. I got one update that caused it not to boot. <laughs> so that was a little sucky. But uh, so it doesn't boot right now. <laughs> but if you just select the one older kernel release in the bootloader, it loads fine. So thankfully, you know, Fedora just puts the previous entries in there. And I was able to get back up and running. And I was not in a position to troubleshoot it on my vacation. Uh, but the Apollo. I played some serious Minecraft on the vacation with my son, and uh, it rang great with Fedora 24, although there was that one problem. Uh, but I think you'll love the Apollo. Uh, by the way, he says, I feel like front-end development is out of control these days. You need 10 different tools installed, five different JS frameworks, and three different JS package managers. Boy, that's true. Just to create a basic Angular app. Then you need to add 30-plus JS dependencies to NPM. Man, that's also true. And then there's like a 50% chance that some package will break tomorrow because you use a minor version update notation. Let's not forget that the fact that every single JS library turns out to have some breaking bug in it, which makes your life miserable. And what's with Angular 2? It's the worst thing. You either go and use beta software for a new project or stick with the old one, which will most definitely be deprecated in a few years. I feel like using any version of Angular at this moment is a mistake. Do you have any thoughts on this? That's bold. Any version of Angular, Mike, is a mistake. Yeah, this is something that's been coming up because I use a lot of Ionic, which, of course, uses Angular. Yep. yep. Um, Ionic to keep up with Angular, and it has Ionic 2, which I am not using, because I also think that Angular mm. 2 is too much change too quickly. Mm. Hmm. My understanding is that Angular 1 as a series, and I know that Ionic 1 as a series, is going to continue to be updated and supported for some time. Um, you know, 
one problem again listen to the back catalog listen a little bit that we've covered i think we have one called like javascript hell in the title or something <laughs> something like that there is a general problem well, i won't say problem there's a general thing that i don't like and that i think a lot of people are starting to come around to my way of thinking and that the front end development frameworks are moving way too fast and there's a risk that and by the time I, if I have a significantly sized project and I pick, let's say, Angular 1, well, if I had a two-year project, Angular 2 would have already been on the oh, horizon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. really, you know, I find that to be potentially risky. Because um, it implies to me that either Angular 1 was half-baked, which... I really don't believe. I mean, there are things, there are performance things, um, maybe niceties that Angular 2 would provide that one doesn't. But I actually think Angular 1 at this point is fairly solid and absolutely product, production ready. But it certainly doesn't look good, right? When, mm-hmm. I, when I'm going in and I'm pitching something, an entire version number down from, you know. Yeah, unless you're, unless you're explaining it in the pitch, which is just extra work. And adds well, leisure for it, questions, and it's just not – it doesn't sound yeah, solid. It doesn't sound solid. I mean, it's – I don't know what the solution is, right? To be fair, you know, Angular – like the newest hotness is React, mm-hmm. right? Is React.js. And they've kind of killed – you know, when's the last time you heard about Ember? Oh, good point. When's the last time you heard about Backbone? Jeez, I've completely forgotten. At first, Backbone was the one I liked, but when the market turned – I wasn't going to sell something that's not winning, right? I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that, that would be really, really dumb. Yeah. So there is a certain amount of culling happening, I think, in the front-end frameworks. Uh-huh. But yeah. now, instead of seeing you know new JavaScript framework of the week, I think we're seeing like rapid iteration. Meteor.js, again, is, is of the same vein as a React.js. Someone mentioned in the chat. But... You know, what I find interesting is actually how the hell did React out of all of these become the one that is kind of mm-hmm. – in fact, I had a call with a woman from uh, Rutgers University, which is a New Jersey's uh, state university. And she wanted to let me know that Rutgers is doing coding camps and they're doing a certificate program to retrain people as developers. You know, so it's, it's weird. It's, it's one of these coding boot camps, but it's actually done by a school. Mm. Um, and I said, oh, what do you, I figured she'd say they were teaching them Java or something like that. Oh, no, we only do React.js. Really? That's all we do. Because that's what they've landed on somehow? <laughs> Just a I little said, late on that one. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a little, uh, it's, it's a little, little trendy, no? Really? So that's huh. the one. Huh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, a lot of the and Christian Lewis, a lot of these things get really popular. I mean, uh, real basic, anybody? Oh wow! And get a lot of you know a lot of love, and then it turns out they were terrible. Yeah. I still think, and we are going to have that React episode one day where I bash the shit out of it. <laughs> I, st- I still think it is not a good idea. Um, but you know, some of this is marketing, some of this is fashion, and if Rutgers University is down, then. Because you know the people making that choice were not super with it. It's uh, you, I, I don't want to say Swift, but Swift. Huh. Right? Sometimes you can't beat marketing. Huh? You, you, ooh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, 
there you go. Thank you for sending those emails in coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com or the contact link or the subreddit coderadio.reddit.com. And thank you for the pictures that came with them. Oh, really? You got pictures? Oh, Anything yes. you can say on air? Well, they're all of you in the shower, so. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Now, I know that's not true because I barely took any showers on the road trip. So. Oh, <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Mr. Dominic. Is there anywhere you'd like to send people throughout the week? I'd like to send you to your local YMCA to take a shower. <laughs> Don't worry, I shower before the show. I had to Excellent. come on to it. I had to, yeah, I had to be clean for the show. <laughs> we have links, of course, to the blog post uh, that we were talking about in the show over at Buccaneer.io. Uh, we got links to also Get Mask if you'd like to purchase that. And you can follow Mike on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and coderadio.reddit.com and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to watch the live show. Get it converted to your local time at the calendar page and the jblive.tv is where you actually watch it. I think that just about covers it, Mike. I think we're good. All right. I'm a little rusty. I might have forgotten something, but I think I got it all. Oh, there is one more thing I have to do. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Coda Radio, and we'll see you right here next week. There we go.